0: Hi there, and welcome to the Fight World Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Munshaw. Today we're going to be talking about the UFC 250 card that happened for the weekend. Uh, Overall, what a fantastic card. There was a ton of young talent. There was a ton of, you know, middle crop guys. And uh, we also saw uh, Amanda Nunes become officially the greatest UFC women's fighter ever. Um, It was extremely impressive to see that. I'm a huge fan of Amanda Nunes and what she's accomplished. I am a huge fan of also seeing greatness. I think that a big problem in MMA in general is that we tend to want to see people lose. And we look at other sports like basketball with Michael Jordan and Tom Brady in football and Tiger Woods in golf and everybody has a fall from grace. But I find it that much more incredible for an athlete that puts on just perfection. Manda Nunez dominated bell from bell for five rounds. It was amazing. Um, Hats off to Felicia Spencer. I do believe, and this is my opinion, um, I do believe that they could have possibly thrown in the towel. She was taking a lot of shots. Uh, She's an extremely tough girl. From Canada, of course. And I felt that her coaches should have looked after her a little bit more in this fight. Especially with her being so young and young in the fight game. Uh, And that's my opinion on that. Uh, Not everybody will agree with me that you should have the ability to pull your fighter out of it. A lot of fighters prefer to go out on their shield, and I understand that. And me, I'm only an amateur fighter. And... I haven't been put in a position to go out on my shield yet. I'm sure one day it will come. uh, But I think there's also responsibility that you have to your fighter, especially when you absolutely know that you are getting pummeled. Unfortunately, I hate to use that term, but that's what I would call it. She was getting pummeled. And that... uh, that's tough to watch sometimes, you know. Uh, it's unfortunate that this is a sport that we love sometimes, but you know, it's it's our entertainment, and these are modern day gladiators, and there's no doubt about that. Now, so I'm going to go down. I'm going to break down the entire card, but I just wanted to say, make a note on Amanda Nunes. Unbelievable performance this weekend. Um, so we're going to go into the first prelim fight. Uh, this was a super interesting one. Evan Dunham is a veteran. Uh, he took this fight on short notice, from my understanding, in a catchweight belt at 150. He's fighting a guy in Herbert Burns. And if you don't know who Herbert Burns is, Herbert Burns is the brother of Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns recently beat Tyron Woodley last week in a very, very impressive fight. Uh, he went 5 nothing and basically shut Tyron Woodley down and shut him out in all the judges' scorecards. Uh, hats off to him. That was an unbelievable performance on his own. But his brother was extremely impressive this weekend in... Taking down a veteran at Amidonim in his only second UFC fight. He had knockout previously, and that's pretty impressive for a jiu jitsu guy, excuse me. And he basically, it was a very strong start from the beginning from Herbert. Um, he immediately got the back, he took him down with a very nice inch trip. Uh, you can also see that trip from Henzo Gracie, uh, very well known for it. Take the back, stick your back or your stick the hook through on your right side, and he hooks the other leg and lifts it and then falls back to his back, and you're immediately in the back position, and you can immediately start working. That's exactly what he did. He got the neck early and he forced Adam Down to tap. And the funny thing is, it wasn't around his neck; it was around his jaw. And when you have that high level of a black belt on your back. It doesn't make a difference. You can go out from your jaw being crushed, and uh, it very very impressive finish. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this kid in the future. These brothers are on fire, and it just shows that you know they just you train with the best, and they both train with uh, Kamar Usman, who is the welterweight champion of the world. He also beat Tyron Woodley in a very very impressive fashion. Another shutout against Tyron Woodley, unfortunately, and I'm just so excited to see the Burns Brothers again. Now we're going to move on to the next fight. Um, Alonzo Mayfield versus Devin Clark. This was a super interesting matchup. Uh, Alonzo Mayfield came off the Dana White's Contender Series. And... He was known for his 8 second knockout. Uh, It was an extremely fast. And it was quite impressive how much power this kid has. Um, The thing I have to say about this fight is... It was a great learning experience for Alonzo Mayfield. Um, He... Started very strong, uh, landing big, big shots. I thought that Devin Clark was going to go down at one point. He seemed to be wincing his eye, and it seemed like he may have a broken nose or a broken or- orbital bone. Um, so we an eye. I was keeping an eye on that towards the fight, but his corner really was able to pump him up and keep him in the fight. Um, he looked like he was fading a little bit at the top. I mean, obviously, I'm getting punched very hard in the face. But his experience showed, uh, coming into this fight, Devin Clark was not expected to win, you could tell that, they're really pushing this kid, uh, Alonzo Mayfield, and they really want, hit, you know, and just the next contender, obviously he's a young kid, he's got a lot of power, and people love to see knockouts, and I'm not saying he's not a great fighter at all, he, he did very well, uh, but the experience for sure showed, Devin Clark was able to drag him into the deeper rounds, and show his experience. And it was a great learning experience for Alonzo Mayfield because you can get used to being the nail or the hammer real quick, but when you're the nail and you haven't felt that, it's quite a shock effect. And I think that's exactly what happened in this fight. He expected to finish Devin Clark early, and when Devin Clark was... Up against the fence, he was using very creative striking. I have to add this because I couldn't help but just love that he was hitting inside leg kicks from being on his back on the fence, and he was also, he was keeping busy with strikes, and I think that is huge. He gave Alonzo Mayfield something to think about every time he pushed him up against the cage. He was going to, every time Alonzo Mayfield would go to unload on him, he would immediately counter, or he'd immediately give him something to think about. You could definitely tell that Devin Clark was analyzing early in the fight just to get that timing down. And then he started to pick his volume up in round two. And once that started to happen, you could see Alonzo Mayfield kind of getting a little bit confused on what was going on. I think he really expected to finish him early. I'm not sure where the game plan was in this fight because you know he Devin Clark would be on him constantly. And even though he would get pushed up against fans. Devin Clark would be hit with big shots, but he'd still be around. And I think Alonzo Mayfield's just not used to that, that fighting those hard three rounds. And he's definitely capable of it. He's a big man. And he definitely got tired. There's no doubt about that. He was trying to survive towards the end. And Devin Clark just put it on him. And I rightfully think that the judges gave Devin Clark a 3-0 decision. Um, Sorry, I don't agree with the 3-0 decision, but... Uh, that's just how it is sometimes with the judges. Uh, impressive win for Devin Clark, shutting down a up-and-coming contender or excuse me, prospect. And I'm looking forward to seeing both fighters again. Uh, Alonzo Mayfield has a lot of promise. He's got a lot of power, and I think he just needs to learn. Uh, and and that's totally okay. He's still young and. I think that if you push a young fighter too fast, then their star will often, unfortunately, fuzz out. And we want to build these young guys up so that we can see them in the future. We've had really good prospects come through and shine fast. And some have been pushed too fast. And I think that often, uh, I don't know if it ruins their confidence or some fighters just can't handle the uh get beat by just more impressive fighters and i understand there's a competitive aspect and i'm not trying to be naive Uh, some guys just can't handle losing and that's just how it is and i I understand that um i've lost in some pretty big other sports games before my championship rugby game i've lost and the pain that i felt from that i was not getting paid and that's the difference between these guys um they get paid for this, and they go and put their bodies on the line. And they, if they lose, they get half their paycheck, uh, which is very, very sad in my opinion. I think that these guys deserve to be have a set pay no matter what. I think that this 50-50 stuff is bullshit, um, that one fighter gets 100% or prize and win money, and the next guy gets 50% of that pay. I think that's a little nonsense and kind of old times. I think we're past that point with the UFC. I recently read an article saying that the UFC only, only has an eighteen percent profit share, which I find very interesting for a company that's worth, I'm pretty sure, over a billion dollars. I'm pretty, I think I read. Um, so we're gonna move on to the next fight. It is Alex Perez versus Jesse Froomiga. This is a crazy fight, and the fact that it ended in a calf kick finish, which you don't see often, the calf kick is palm become a crazy weapon in mma and it's shutting down a lot of grapplers and getting people to stand still and be completely immobilized and it's just interesting how mma these new styles or these effective strikes come in and they completely change the game um and in this fight that's exactly what happened jason vermiga is known as a grappler um alex perez got a fast start in the fight. He got on him right away and had jiu Formiga on his bike. Alex Perez started landing big, big calf kicks, and you can tell right away that jiu Formiga did not like them. He tried to get away, but when you take those calf kicks, it's real hard to put your weight on your feet, and when you can only go one way, that leaves you open to more attacks. And Alex Perez just kept hammering that calf kick, and he eventually hit it. He finished the fight with a calf kick but it landed the kick landed his foot hit his knee and I think Alex Press broke his foot when he did that but Jesse Fumiga dropped from the pain because he just couldn't handle it anymore it was a very impressive finish um you don't see a calf kick finish very often but you know I'm really excited to see this kid fight again it's you know Recently on a another podcast, Justin Gaethje made a claim about the calf kick saying that you get four good calf kicks and the fight is yours because it completely immobilizes your opponent and it sends a shock. Another example of when a calf kick was used was a fight against Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo. Demetrius Johnson hit Henry Soto with a calf kick, and he rolled his ankle to the point where he could not. His foot just went dead because the nerves went dead for a second. And uh, I just find that very interesting. (laughs) So moving on, um, we're going to talk about Charles Bird versus Patolo, And this was a crazy fight. Charles Bird came on Patolo very, very quickly and he tried to land big strikes and put patolo away early it seemed he landed a big takedown, and patolo was able to basically weather the storm and it really showed that this kid is coming to fight he's another guy of the contender series um and he's known for having his spacers in his ear he looks pretty funny with his tape around his ears but uh yeah, it started fast with Charles Baird being on Patolo and then second round came and it was a completely different round because Patolo came out on fire. He started landing major combinations that made Charles Baird very uncomfortable and eventually he just overwhelmed him. He hit him I think with an eight punch combination and then used a beautiful trip to get Charles Baird on his back and he pounded him out for the finish. I'm really excited to see Patolo again. Um yeah, I just can't say enough good things about that finish. It it was extremely impressive and it showed that this kid can weather a storm and I think that that's early signs and we should really pay attention to him in the future. Uh moving on to the next fight, it's Brian Keller versus Cody Stamen. Unfortunately, earlier on in the week, uh, Cody Stamen found out that he lost his 18-year-old brother. Uh, we're not going to get into the death cause, but it was uh, it's a pretty crazy thing for that to happen right before a fight. And Cody Stamen looked unbelievable in this fight. From the beginning, he was the most disciplined we've ever seen him. He just came in with a dead look on his face. You know he was carrying the weight of his brother on his shoulders, and it showed, but he put on a performance of his lifetime. Brian Keller is another extremely skilled guy. Uh, you could definitely tell how closely matched this fight was, but Stamen clearly was able to pull it out and he used beautiful, beautiful boxing. Uh, was able to get in, hit, and get out. And you know, they say the sweet aren't sweet. Science of boxing is to get hit and not is to hit and not get hit. <laughs> okay, so Cody Stamen with a very, very impressive performance. Um, Cody Stamon bursting into tears after the final bell, clearly showing pain and finally able to mourn the death of his late brother. Uh, he's 12-1-1 one one in his last, four, last 14 fights. My opinion should be 13-1. Uh, and one. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing this kid fight again. Uh, he, he had the best performance of his career and I really uh, wish him the best and his family in their time of mourning. Uh, I know they had to leave his other brother back home to deal with all this so I really hope that they can find their peace with their brother's death and uh, I hope to see Cody Stamen back in a good mindset and hopefully to put on another performance like that again because if that kid shows up the next fight then he really could be looking at big things moving on to the next fight we have Ian Heinisch versus Gerald Mearshart. Another great matchup. Gerald uh, Mearshart is known for being a submission artist. He has a lot of impressive finishes on his resume. Um, not a very well-known fighter. Doesn't get enough appreciation, in my opinion. Ian Heinisch. he's a fighter out of Tagamoy Muay Thai. And I, I only know that because I've seen him in person there. And he's a very, very impressive fighter fighter himself he's got a lot of power big takedowns and he's a smasher he likes to smash people and that's the only way that i can describe this guy from the start you could see that gerald did not want to be hit by this guy and it it showed right away he hit him with an inside leg kick and gerald's leg went flying and he just did not that look on his face he did not like it in Heinish got a beautiful, beautiful overhand right finish. Um, He did a Hendo style, like fake takedown and come into the overhand right, and he hit him flush behind the ear, and he finished Gerald Muirstark with strikes on the ground uh, very soon after. Um, Ina Heinisch is... Well, he looked damn good, and there's big things coming for him. I think a lot of... People have been watching this kid quietly, but he really showed that he's ready for a big-time test. Uh, Joe Mirchart is a excellent fighter on his own, but um, it was just, this kid's ready for a big test, and I really hope the UFC gives him that, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing him again, and Joe Uh Joe Mirchart just, you know, maybe he wasn't all there tonight. He's usually on. He's a very relaxed guy most of the time. He looked uh, a little stressed from the beginning, which was unlike him, in my opinion. And you know, hopefully he's he comes back healthy, and you know, we get to see them both back as soon as possible. Uh, now we're moving on to the main event in the prelims: Alex Alex Caceres, also known as Bruce Leroy, uh, versus Chase Hooper, uh, the son of Ben Askren, as some know as a joke. And uh, Chase Hooper was. You know, a, a lot of hype coming in with this fight. He's an eight, or 20 year old kid. Uh, he was on the contender series when he was 18, and he looked impressive. Um, got a decision win in the contender series, as far as I know. The UFC put him on a developmental contract, where he ended up going. Uh, he got three wins uh, and one draw. And I was excited to see him in this fight. Alex Caceres is no joke and he was very well known for being on The Ultimate Fighter in the George St. Pierre-Josh uh, Kotech season, which was another season that did really well of The Ultimate Fighter, and clearly became a crowd favorite right away, and a favorite of Dana White, just with the swag that he had. He just always that pretty boy smile. Alex Caceres worked a lot on his grappling, um, and in this fight, it really showed Uh, from the top, you can definitely tell that the experience was different. Alex Isaris has almost 30 fights, uh, 30 professional fights, and Chase Hooper is, I think, not even 10 yet. Um, from the beginning, you know, the striking game was clearly outmatched. Uh, Alex Isaris was touching Chase Hooper up, and he actually dropped him with a big right-hand counter. And I... I thought there was a couple times that Alex was going to be able to finish Chase Hooper, um, but it just never ended up coming. And But Alex Harris was able to get away from everything that Chase Hooper could offer. Uh, the striking was, like I said before, it, it clearly a big difference. I really think that Chase Hooper really needs to take some time and work on that. Um, maybe, you know, he could benefit and going to a country like Thailand or just kind of focusing on striking for a while. His jiu-jitsu is clearly high level. Um, there was a moment at the end of the first round where Alex got Alex Casares got his legs entangled with Chase Hooper, and Chase Hooper was looking to work. Unfortunately, the first bell went, so there was nothing able to come from that. Chase Hooper was able to get a few takedowns. He ended up getting a, a sweep called the dummy sweep, or at least that's what we call it in uh, my jujitsu school. Uh, which is not hit often in MMA, but it was very, very cool to see when you do get it. Um, Chase Hooper was able to come up on top and you really thought something might happen there, but Alex Cazeros has been working on his ground game and it, and it showed for sure. Um, He was able to get out of every bad position that Chase could offer. And maybe a bit too soon for this big of a name for Chase. I think that his game needs to come a long way and, uh, I'm saying that as a 23-year-old kid. But his... If he gets pushed a little farther than that, I really think that he could get seriously uh, hurt too soon. And with a kid like this, you want to not feed him the term, I guess, would say cans. I don't think that's what you need to do. But definitely a name like Caseras especially when he just fought Cron Gracie, which is clearly a different level than Chase Hooper. So... And Con Gracie had a war recently with uh, Cub Swanson, which some say, some think that Kron won. I personally thought that the right decision was to go with Cub. But that's a big jump in opponent. And I, I want to see Chase Hooper back in the UFC. I just would prefer the matchmaking, to be fair. And, you know, these things happen. And I really wish both these fighters the best. Alex look looked like he wanted a bigger name and he earned that respect tonight, and I think that he should get a bigger name. So we've gone to the next fight. This is the first fight of the main card. Uh, Sean O'Malley versus Eddie Wineland. This was a very, very interesting matchup. Eddie Wineland being the first WEC champion, which is quite a while ago, uh, if I do say so myself. Um, and Sugar Sean O'Malley is, as we all know, a hot prospect coming off the Dana White Contender Series in Season 1. He knocks out his opponent it just i don't even think that he hit him he comes onto the scene he gets the reebok sponsorship and you know gets his own marijuana t-shirt from reebok which nobody saw that coming and all you know the whole the company gets behind him and this kid's hot you know he comes off a big win he Against uh, Andre Sukumtaman, I believe, it is, and he ends up breaking his foot in the third round off the guy's kneecap when he kicked him. He hopped around the rest of the fight and was able to survive the rest of the fight and win by a very impressive decision. He won all three rounds, no doubt, until he broke his foot. Um, he ended up getting uh, two Austrian suspensions in a row. And. You know whatever your opinion is on that, it it's pretty cool to see the, see him back because you don't often see this. There's no ring rust with him. He comes back right away and gets a first round knockout against Jose Canzano, or Jose Quinzo- Quinonez, sorry, and that was a beautiful head kick finish and pound out uh, TKO. And he comes into this fight against Andy Wyland. Andy Weiland is. Known for being... Have a very herky-jerky style. And it, it, it often gives guys like Sean O'Malley a little bit more of a test. And also, um, you know, Eddie Weiland was up in his face early. And he landed a huge right hand on Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley wasn't even phased by it. And, you know, this, this was a beautiful finish by Sean O'Malley. He faked an uppercut and with that same hand shot a right hand directly into... Eddie Wineland's nose, and he hit the him with the earth. It was... He shut the lights out right away. Sean O'Malley was walking back towards his corner by the time... By the time Eddie Wineland hit the ground. It was insane. I lost my mind, personally, because it it looked from the beginning like Eddie Wineland was going to test Sean O'Malley by the way he was moving. He was really in his face, and he was forcing Sean O'Malley into these awkward positions, and the kid just continues to impress. I can't. I I want to say that he show he showed a weakness, or actually, I, I don't want to say that. But you often see just maybe some weakness as these kids come up in you know um, the rankings. And I really think that Sean O'Malley is ready to go into the top fifteen. Off that, Eddie Wineland is no easy task for anybody and he often gives a very hard fight and that knockout I've never seen Eddie Winland put out like that before um and you you don't see those type of knockouts where they're just one punch and fall they they happen very solemnly and I the first round finish for Sean O'Malley and I really think that he's due to get paid and also for a big test I'm sure he'll be back soon. It didn't look like he took a lot of damage, and I cannot wait to see him again. Moving on to the next fight, um, it's going to be Neil Magny versus Anthony Rockwell Martin. Uh, Once again, another really awesome matchup. The fight started off fast. Um, Anthony Martin was landing big shots, and he landed a big takedown in round one on Neil Magny, and it looked like Neil Magny just had a slow start. Um... You know, a lot. Neo Magni tends to, uh, like a Tie Fighter, um, you know, start slow round one and pick up over time. His cardio is unmatched in the division, in my opinion. He can maintain a high pace. The thing that uh, Michael Bisbing made a good point of is that um, Neo Magni is he throws volume, but not a lot of power, and the volume is excellent for scoring points. But when it comes to laying damage on your opponent, like when you get those 50 50 decision fights, damage is often used as a reference of judging. And that's something that Neil Magni hasn't ever really done is laid it on his opponent. He's got a few knockouts, TKOs, but um, it's always due to volume. Uh, he always overwhelms people, which is nothing wrong with that. Daniel Carmier said on the commentary also that he thinks that uh, Neil Magni could definitely benefit and really put himself to the next level if he committed more to his punches I think that he creates a lot of opportunities and angles for himself and I would really like to see Neil Magny you know really put it on somebody because I do feel like he can he just tends to hang back and he likes the volume striking and there's nothing wrong with that because it wins him fights and he's a very good fighter anyways going into round Two, um, Neil Magny just, you know, did what Neil Magny does. He started to pick up the volume, uh, nothing anything power, like I said, and he just continued to put it on Anthony Rocco Martin. Round three comes in, and Neil Magny just absolutely takes over the fight. Anthony Martin is struggling to stand on his own feet, and Magny is just lighting him up. It was a just classic Magny performance, and I really... I'm excited to see him with this new confidence. Um, He took a really bad knockout against Santanil Panzanibio from Argentina. And he, you know, took a really bad knockout, fell face first. And he took 18 months off, and he seems to have gained this swagger back. And it's really awesome to see. So that being said, I'm really looking forward to seeing Neil Magny back. And Anthony Rocco-Martin... you know that third round really got away from him, but he also put on an excellent, you know, fight. I think that his cardio showed, so I'm sure you're gonna see him improve on that. And I have no doubt he'll come back stronger than ever. We're gonna move on to the next fight: is Aljamain Sterling versus Cora again. There is a there. This fight was quiet, but once fight we came this was a fight to watch out for this is arguably a uh bantamweight shot matchup for the title our henry Cejudo recently vacated the title and peter yawn and jose aldo are currently going to fight for the, bant- the bantamweight strap which is an excellent fight um a lot has been said about Jose Aldo getting this shot, but for the amount of time the guy's put into the sport, um, he was the man for the longest time for the UFC. And, you know, uh, call it a freebie if you want, but I, I, I don't have a problem with him fighting Peter Ron. I think Peter Ron, um is a very, very special fighter. I also think that this division is stacked um, one of the best divisions, uh, maybe next to lightweight for scale wise you know, you got T.J. Dillashaw, you have Aljamain Sterling, you have Corey Sandhagen. you have Marlon Moraes you have Jose Aldo, like... That alone is just unbelievable. These guys are all young. They're all, except for Jose Aldo. They're all gonna be fighting for this strap back and forth. I guarantee every single one of those guys can be a champion one day. Which is really exciting. The future of Bantamweight. That these guys are gonna be basically passing this title around, in my opinion. So Aljamain Sterling versus Corey Sangen. From the top, Aljo gets the back right away up against the fence and gets to work. He gets Corey hanging down, sinks in the rear naked choke in round one, tries to crush his face right off the top. Doesn't work. Corey Sangen is fighting to get out. Aljo using those long arms to pull him right back in, and he ends up getting a beautiful RNC finish and puts Corey Sandhagen to sleep right after he taps. There was major respect shown between both these fighters at the end. Corey Sangan just clearly saw that he got caught, and I have no doubt that he's going to be right back in the mix after this. He has shown constant improvement over every single fight. Same with Main Sterling. Especially after his knockout loss to Malin Rice, he's just come out with this chip on his shoulder. He went and got his hand fixed that he claimed he had a problem with for... A long long time it was plaguing his career he was only able to use one hand in a lot of his fights uh, for power shots and he had the, this was the best performance of his career i really think that he's coming for that belt and it's really exciting for a young kid like him i can't say enough things about both these guys um I'm really excited to see them both get back again. Corey Sagan unfortunate that he got caught so early, uh, but that's just the way the game is, and I have no doubt that these guys are going to fight again one day and that Corey Sanhagen is going to come with the chip on his shoulder. Going into the co-main event, uh, Cody Garbrandt versus Rafael Assunzal. Holy shit. Um, and I say holy shit because... Cody Garbrandt coming off three KO losses in a row, which is quite a fall from grace, considering that he was the bantamweight champion of the world, beating Dominic Cruz in an crazy impressive fashion like he did. Dropped him, I think, four times in the fight. Danced around him, was completely able to shut Dominic down in every single way possible. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, Javier Asunzal coming off a loss to... Marlon Rice, for the Bantamweight, I believe, uh, contender f- contention fight. My apologies for the pause there. Uh, from the top of this fight, uh, Cody was clearly the fastest fighter. And one thing to note about Cody is that he's always been with Alpha Male's his entire career, even being a young kid. So he decided this time to take his camp to Mark Henry, and if you don't know who Mark Henry is, he is a very high level striking uh, coach, and he believed that Cody really fixed a lot of the problems that he had in his first fight, or his first. You know, he C- Cody often would get sucked in the brawls and. Th- it would really stoop down his school, his skill level because he truly is a very, very talented individual. So right off the top, Cody starts and you can definitely see a different swagger about him off the top. Um, he started landing these hard calf kicks that really immobilized, uh, a son's out at right from the top. And it's really interesting with these calf kicks again. Um, uh, Cody's always been known for his extremely fast hands and, um, uh, Those calf kicks mixing in just made him that much dangerous. It set up his hands. He'd smash his leg. And eventually, Rafael Alcenzo just couldn't get his timing down after those. He couldn't get the in and out that he's used to. He usually will throw strikes to set up takedowns. Uh, He's a very good jujitsu practitioner. So Cody had to be careful of that. But Cody is also a very excellent wrestler and tends to keep fights on the feet uh, due to his his pedigree of wrestling. Uh, You know both fighters were landing in round two. Um, and right at the end of round two, I mean, it was a pretty back and forth round, uh, pretty, um, you know, stalemate ish. There was no, there wasn't too much going on. I mean, Cody was definitely landing more, but they had a, there was an awkward exchange up against the cage at about, I'd say four 45 in, into the round of round two. and, they had a weird kick exchange. They're both standing there. Rafael Sando looked like he wanted to go and throw. And he ended up throwing a uh, right hand, I believe. And Cody did a weird duck down. He ducked down to his knee to kind of just an overslip. And he threw the freaking earth at Hafael Asunza with the bell, And he knocked him out cold. He went face down, out cold. It was an unbelievable shot from Cody Garbrandt. And right at the bell, like, the sound that came off that, it was unbelievable. Everything Cody had put into that, and he knew right away he was done. He didn't – there was no follow-up strikes. Hats up to Cody on that, um, who is known to love to smash people until the ref pulls him off, but really showing composure there. Um, and, and, you know – Hats off to him. You know, it it's one thing to lose three in a row. It's another thing to lose three knockouts in a row and come back. And he really looked different in this fight. And I'm really excited to see Garbrandt with that confidence and swagger back, because he truly is a very talented individual. A lot of people look up to this kid. He changed his life. Um, and fighting changed his life. And he really had to sit back and see if fighting was for him anymore after these losses. And I'm really glad to see that he came to the conclusion and fell back in love with it because when he's in love with it and he's in there, I don't know how many people are better than him in the Bantamweight division. Um, He stormed through a lot of people. And uh, yes, TJ Dillashaw got his number, uh, no doubt, with two knockouts in a row. And I believe that's where Cody got sucked into the brawls is that anger, that shit talk back and forth. And I think that if he stays out of that nonsense, this kid's dangerous and... I really think that the boys that are in the bantamweight mix right now need to watch out for a confident Garbrandt because that's a scary man. Tough loss um, to Rafael Essanzo. You know, he's he's a veteran of the game. He's been around for a long time, he's put on a lot of excellent fights. Uh, but, you know, it was just Cody Garbrandt's night and that knockout. Holy shit. I really hope Rafael Essanzo kept all his teeth there. Um, and that he's going to be okay. I will uh, look into the medical suspensions before the end. But, uh, yeah, just what a performance by Garron. I really look forward to this kid working with Mark Henry more. Mark Henry has shown the pedigree of striking in his fighters, and, you know, a lot of people swear by his detail. That's a major thing, his detail that he explains to his fighters is second to none, and, yeah, just great things from Garbrandt. So we're going to move on to the main event, and I did speak about the main event at the beginning, and I just wanted to just go over that again. Is Amanda Nunez becoming the greatest female mixed martial arts of all time? There's nobody left for her to fight other than Valentina. I think that's pretty um, clear. I'm not sure if Valentina wants that smoke right now either because... She's got her own thing going down or going down in her division. You know, she's got nobody to fight either. She seems to be blowing everybody out of the water. Uh, either by finish or just completely dominate some decision. She's winning. She's coming off a TKO win to uh Caitlin Chuchkagian. Um, now I definitely see another matchup of these ladies happening again, arguably in their last matchup, uh Nunez Shevchenko too. That a lot of people think that Shevchenko won the fight um i tend to agree but you know judges decisions if you leave it to the judges then you don't know the decision you're going to get so you know i really hope that they put again put together another fight with these ladies i think that that would be the best thing for them right now um and manna Nunes has cleaned out her division and valentina had a fight lined up against jojo calderwood and i'm a huge fan of jojo calderwood but I'm not sure that it's going. The result will be any different. Unfortunately, and Valentina just seems to be a few steps ahead of every single opponent. Even when she fought Joanna, she was one step of her ahead of her, and that's pretty good judge of skill. Um, especially when Joanna is known as one of the best strikers, one of the best strikers in MMA, no doubt about it. And Valentina was just one step ahead of her every time. Every time in that fight, uh, so. I would really love to see a third fight between Amanda Nunez and Valentina Serchenko. Um, I'm not going to expect it this year. I think that the UFC wants to just keep, you know, trying to see if these girls are going to have somebody that will uh, really, you know, challenge them. Um, but yeah. So I just wanted to get into the payouts for the fight. And. I'm going to pull that up. Okay, so your fighter payouts... A little technical difficulties going on here, unfortunately. Okay, Sorry about that. So the fighter payouts. Amanda Nunez comes away with $450,000. Um, and ne- coming up next is Cody Gabron. He came home with $260,000. Sterling came home with $152. Neil Magny came home with $158. Corey Sanhagen with $80. Hafaela Sunsau with 79 Anthony Rocco Martin with 48000 Sean O'Malley with 80,000, which is very impressive in his third UFC fight, my add. Uh, it shows that he is quite the draw. Eddie Wineland with 46. And I'd like to thank you guys for listening to the podcast this week. Um, we are going to be breaking down the next card, the next UFC event, which is this Father's Day um, coming up. And it is UFC Saskatoon, or what was supposed to be UFC Saskatoon. It's actually going to be held at the UFC Apex Center. Um, it, the I'm going to just tell you the main card right now. I'm going to be breaking down that card also next week. Uh, it's Jessica Iveli, um and Sidia Calvio in the, the main event for the women's flyweight fight. In the co-main event, it is Carl Roberson versus Marvin Vittori. Um, These gentlemen were supposed to fight uh, on the Overeem Harris card, and unfortunately Carl Roberson missed weight and then had to go to the hospital due to a possible problem with his kidneys, so the fight was thrown out. I was really excited to see Marvin Vittori back, especially after all the time he's been away due to his unfortunate steroid um, I shouldn't say steroid, um, his recent uh, pop for performance-enhancing drugs. I don't believe um, it was a lot. I think it was in the picograms. I hate to use that term now because it's so overused, but um, it wasn't a very high amount, so I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt personally with all the stuff that's in our supplements these days. Uh, for the bantam weight. Uh, third fight on the card is Mirab Dalush, and if you don't know who Mirab is, the machine, this guy has the highest motor I've ever seen. He's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> he just goes, 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 goes the entire fight, and I'm really excited to see him fight uh, in the featherweight matchup. In the four, in the second fight of the card is Andre Feely versus Charles Jordan. Um, Andre Philly, I'm sure everybody knows him. He's an excellent fighter. Charles Rosane is actually a fighter out of Quebec. Um, very exciting prospect. He lost his first fight after coming up and waiting on short notice uh, coming into the UFC. And he then went over to Korea and knocked out Du Ho Choi, which is quite impressive, um, especially for you know a guy with a second fight in the UFC and taking the, unfortunately losing the first one by a very close decision. Um but really, yeah, just knocking out Duho Choi from the beginning it and so he definitely shows improvement uh every fight. So for the last fight of or well the first fight of the card, excuse me, I went backwards, is uh Jordan Espo- Espinoza versus Mark Della Rosa. And that is another pretty decent matchup so this card is in like overly stacked but it's full of uh... some names and you know the ufc has done a great job with putting on amazing cards um, there's no doubt about that So, going forward there might be a few cards that are not as stacked but that is okay because they have been delivering no doubt about that so anyways, guys, I am getting a little bit over time here. So I would like to thank you very much for listening. Um, we're going to be having some changes going forward with the podcast. This is the first episode, obviously. We're going to be setting up a studio. Uh, just going to take some time. I wanted to pump some content out there to see what the interest was like. So if you could, you know, leave a comment or leave a like if you liked it. And get back to me anything any way you can. I appreciate critique. Um, and we're looking to be a video podcast in the future we just need to set some things up to make sure that we give the best experience possible Um, when it comes to the video the audio will also be improved, um, just small baby steps and once again I'd like to thank everybody for listening and I'm looking forward to doing this in the future this is uh, Justin Munshaw signing out thanks again